Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that travels all over the world and lands in Stadium, Morocco, to bring you the latest in the best uh, news headlines we can find. Well, best may not be the right word, because the news headlines of the week that we deem the most important stories are likely to offend, disgust, and perhaps occasionally amuse. I'm Kevin Barrett with J. Michael Springman. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. And then hopefully we can make life uncomfortable for the people who need to have lives that are very uncomfortable. Let's make their lives uncomfortable. Let's uh, throw rocks at them as we always do yes. each week. All right. So let's get to our slideshow. And I think it's uh, it's moving fast on my nice new computer here. So and a thank you to all of our False Flag Weekly News supporters who helped me buy this new computer to replace a broken screened laptop. And so here we go, breaking it in, as it were. This is our slide of the week. I was going to do the music video of the week as Free Bird uh, with Leonard Skinnerd and the bird escaping the ma mainstream media birdcage, but that would have been so bad that I thought I would just um, be uh, kind, considerate, and have mercy on you and not uh, do that. So we're not going to do the music video of the week, but we are going to ask for money. So please uh, go to truthgia.com. And by way of Iceland, go to the False Flag Weekly News rubric that the red arrow is pointing towards. And that'll take you to our weekly list of stories that we cover. Number one is always the fundraiser link. And there it is. Now, we've been a little short in a couple of fundraisers. So that's my excuse for taking off next week. I'll be back in two weeks. And if you want to make sure I come back with uh, great enthusiasm, donate to our fundraiser. Okay, starting with the debate 9-11 rubric this week. Well, Mike, there's a lot going on in the world, but we chose this seemingly obscure news story as our number one story. And I think it, it does have significance beyond its uh, beyond the campus of Harvard University, where Gustavo Espada, a 9-11 truther from way back, who was heavily active back when I was in 2006, is now being lynched by the Daily Caller for having the temerity and, nay, the unmitigated audacity to demand a debate on 9-11, and specifically on Israel's role in 9-11. And simply for asking for a debate, uh, they are trying to get him fired from his job. Uh, does Ben Shapiro have any shame? No. <laughs> I think it's great, though, he wanted to use a puppet or a potted plant to debate in case... Uh, this Chavez guy didn't want to come in person and uh, expose himself to the truth. Uh, but I'm uh, surprised that he still has a job. They're just talking about getting rid of him. Yeah, Gustavo has been employed gainfully at Harvard University um, the whole time. He's been a very uh, active 9-11 truth proponent. And uh, it's uh, the thing is, though, Mike, I, I just don't understand how universities find it so... Uh, impossible to actually have debates on these kinds of issues uh, and why Gustavo Espada wanting to debate this issue and um, challenging uh, somebody who's attacking him to actually debate it is such horrible anti-Semitic behavior. Well, anything is anti-Semitic. I mean, there was this uh, uh, neurologist and singer in uh, occupied Palestine. She is uh, one of the Israeli Arabs. Uh, she posted God is the ultimate victor uh, on a website, and suddenly that's anti-Semitic, and she's being harassed with death threats and attempts to get her husband fired from his position at the hospital where they both work. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, they, these people don't want to debate, apparently. They just want to make sure that their line is the only line. And this guy, Shavos Kastenbaum, I don't know where they, that's that's quite the name. I mean, I, I think maybe he has a non-Jewish brother named uh, Shavos Goy. Uh, wait a second, I'll be sharing the first name, not the last name. But but anyway, Gustavo Espada is definitely not a Shavos Goy, uh, and he does want to debate this issue. And merely for asking for a debate after he's been attacked, uh, he's being pilloried and they don't want his job or they want, they want to take away his job. I, I know the feeling. Same thing happened to me not so many years ago. And so this Daily Wire story uh, shows all these terrible defaced hostage posters at Harvard University where all the Zionists were putting up these posters about the the um, people captured by Hamas. I didn't see any posters like this for the 10,000 people captured by the genocidal Zionists. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, turnabout is, is fair play. Maybe there will be someday. Uh, here, here's uh, one of Gustavo Espada's tweets that the Daily Wire doesn't like. One thing mm -hmm. I learned on 9-11 and will never forget is how good Israelis are with explosives and how much they like to celebrate life and death, as the case may be. <laughs> Hashtag dancing Israelis. So uh, I guess you can see why the, uh, you know, Mr. Shabos and the Daily Wire don't like him. And that's great that uh, he's, he's turned it into a publicity bonanza. Uh, and he's protests that he's not an anti-Semite. Um, he has no problems with Jews, just the ones who think there's a different set of rules for them. <laughs> now, what percentage of the Jewish population that would be, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't want to speculate. Anyway, so that's good. Gustavo Espada's uh, thing with the Daily Wire. There's the Daily Wire story. And that flashed me back to the days of my debate challenge at the University of Wisconsin. Um, here is the latest iteration of the 9-11 debate challenge I issued. This uh, was raised to $2,000 in 2012, but it was pretty much uh, an ongoing challenge since 2006 when I was basically escorted to the door of the university, not right away. I just, I wasn't fired. I just was not ever going to be rehired again. And despite the provost having told me they would look into the possibility of having some kind of official debate, it never happened. And then we started, you know, offering people a thousand dollars to debate me. Uh, nobody would take it. We offered up to $2,000 for any uh, professor, lecturer, or even TA, teaching assistant, in the entire University of Wisconsin system, not just the University of Wisconsin-Madison, but the whole system. And they could have made uh, $2,000 for about whatever, a couple hours work of debating, but nobody wanted to do it. So they just want to take it for granted that you're not supposed to talk about this issue, but they don't want to actually try to show that I'm wrong. And so I, I could really relate to Gustavo Espada's predicament at Harvard. Well, has the anti-defecation league put a price on your head? <laughs> well, if they have, they haven't announced it publicly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's the JDL that does that thing. It's the Jewish Defense League. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I don't think they have a presence here in Morocco. But I guess the, the speaking of of, uh, of the presence in Morocco, though, I, I did have a an immigration or whatever, no, residency card uh, interview with the national police in which uh, they did accumulate this huge do dossier on me. And I asked them to promise not to share it with the Mossad, which uh, completely cracked the guy up. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see whether they hold to their promise. Uh, anyway, this is kind of some of the stuff that the University of Wisconsin uh, was dealing with around me in 2006 when I had my 15 minutes of fame that went on for six months. Uh, the American Civil Liberties Union supported me. They said, no, don't fire this guy just because he happens to have whatever his views are on 9-11. And uh, the New York Times 
had this big op-ed by Stanley Fish saying that I should be fired if I was proselytizing the students, which I wasn't, uh, but I shouldn't be fired if I was teaching in a non-proselytizing way, which I was. So ultimately, uh, the thing was, he was he was insinuating that I was proselytizing. That made it uh, made his op-ed kind of obnoxious. So I, and then the state legislature uh, voted on a resolution. I think every Republican voted for this resolution to have me fired, and uh, only two Democrats did. So at that time, the Democrats were the conspiracy theorists, <laughs> and now it's completely flipped. And I, I was before I left Wisconsin last year, I was hanging around with with Republicans, all these same people who've been trying to lynch me back in 2006. And now they're the ones who doubt the official story of 9-11 and elections and COVID and everything else. But anyway, here's the uh, the le uh, state legislature resolution resolved that uh, you know, Kevin Barrett should be terminated and the university must cease all professional association with this individual, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, I, I could totally uh, identify with Gustavo Espada's issues at Harvard right now, and let's hope he keeps his job. Meanwhile, back in Israel, uh, the genocide continues. If, if we got in a real debate on 9-11, yeah. this genocide wouldn't be happening. because no, but you've got Stanley, who's really a fish out of water. <laughs> yeah, I guess he he did write a, a whole book against free speech. So I guess his op-ed could have been worse. Anyway, so yeah, the the genocide continues because the you know the world world public opinion, especially U.S. public opinion, was hijacked by nine eleven. So the Zionists have been running rampant uh, uh, in the U.S. ever since, and they can get away with with genocide. Um, the talk of a ceasefire hasn't gone anywhere yet this week. But maybe it will in the future, inshallah. Uh, the uh, the Hamas uh, responded to a Paris ceasefire proposal that the Americans are pushing, pointing out that the American version of the ceasefire doesn't stop the Zionists from resuming the genocide anytime they feel like it. So Hamas uh, responded with a counterproposal that would be a complete peace treaty that would stop all killing on all sides and start bringing in food and water and medicine and fuel and things like that to Gaza. Frankly, uh, I think the Hamas counterproposal is vastly better. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Well, I, I think it's sensible. It's straightforward. It recognizes reality. It, it comes in three forty-five stage, three forty-five day stages, uh, and addresses all of the problems that uh, people see there, like killing uh, six-year-old girls buried in the rubble uh, who cry out for uh, release and who eventually expire because nobody can get at them because of the Israeli uh, attacks, the Zionist uh, assault on the people and their buildings. So I, I think that the, uh, the Hamas proposal was far more sensible than anything that's come out of the mouth of Netanyahu or uh, Satan Yahu. Well, the Israelis just want to be able to keep burying those six-year-old girls alive in, in rubble. And the, uh, the U.S. is totally complicit. America's leaders have chosen to be complicit in genocide and expose themselves to future prosecutions rather than break with Israel. And uh, this is an article by Oliver Boyd Barrett, who does a very good uh, newsletter on uh, both uh, the Middle East and also the Ukraine war. And he points out that uh, the ICJ has found prima facie evidence that Israel is engaged in genocide with intent and it's not even a secret. The Zionists aren't even hiding it. Uh, it's a bid for greater Israel. They they want this to accelerate to the point that they can get all the Palestinians out 
and the Congress in the U.S. is has no problem with it. Uh, so I thought that that was a good piece over in Saudi Arabia, your old stomping ground, Mike. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Saudi Kingdom was miffed at the Biden administration, which try I guess Blinken and uh, John, what's his name that uh, that spokes whatever he he she or it Kirby. is. Yeah, Kirby, right, right. Uh, that, that Kirby tried to spin this to make it look like you know the Saudis were perfectly happy to jump back on the normalization track with the Zionist genocidal entity. But in the, <laughs> the Saudis quickly shot him down and pointed out that the Saudis are not going to normalize until they get the peace proposal, they get the, the peace plan. That is, the Zionists have to return to their 1967 borders and Palestine has to become a nation with East Jerusalem as its capital. And of course, the genocide in Gaza has to stop. So the uh, the Saudi position is not as bad as some of their critics have made it out to be. Although the uh, Palestine being independent on the 67 borders is kind of a non-starter. I mean, you uh, that's 20% of, of uh, uh, mandatory Palestine, and, and somehow the Israelis want all of it. Well, the Palestinians would settle for that. You know, Hamas has said that they, though Hamas does not believe that there should be a Jewish state in Palestine, uh, Hamas is willing to essentially disarm if Israel does what the entire international community, not just Saudi Arabia, says it needs to do, which is return to those pre-1967 borders where they still get 80% of Palestine. And then East Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine, which is 20% of what used to be Palestine. And Hamas is willing to lay down its arms. And they do reserve the right to engage in political activity, peaceful political activity, to try to end Jewish supremacy in Palestine and indeed end the notion of a Jewish state. They don't think there should be one, nor do I, nor does anybody with any common sense. Uh, so the, the Palestinian position here, including the Hamas position, is completely reasonable, uh, as the Saudi position is is more than reasonable. And yet the Zionists, they want the whole kahuna and they want to take more land. They want to take everything from the Nile to the Euphrates, it appears. Uh, yeah. And then they but they don't say a word, though, about what's really uh, hovering in the background, the 7 million Palestinian exiles. They right. have a right of return. Right of, yeah, that's, that's a sticking point, isn't it? And of course, the Saudis and the whole international community support the right of return, which is enshrined in numerous UN resolutions and indeed in international law. Uh, well, the Israelis, they don't want the Palestinians to ever be able to return. And the ones who are still there, they want out too. If they're either going to kill them or make life so miserable that they're going to try to get rid of them. Uh, the New York Times is now publishing articles, making it clear that this is a genocide, uh, showing Israeli soldiers uh, filming themselves wildly celebrating the destruction of whole civilian neighborhoods. Uh, so if even the New York Times is, is, has reached this point, Mike, I really think that the Zionist entity is losing its support. It seems like it. Even the Washington Post has some anti-Zebrew uh, uh, articles, like this morning where they, they were saying they were uh, they listed the uh, poor little girl who had died, and they talked about Bilal uh, uh, Abu Amna, who uh, dared to say God is the ultimate victor, uh, and that does make the Zionists look terribly good. And that yeah, was on the front page. You're, you're not allowed to say anything positive about God, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, over in Iran, which is the biggest uh, regional country 
that is willing to stand with the vast majority of the people of the region against uh, Zionism and Jewish supremacism in Palestine. Uh, Iran claims to have busted Israeli spies in 28 countries. And of course, Iran does execute Israeli spies or any spies, actually. Uh, so this could get interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised it's only 28 countries. I would say it's just about every country in the world. Yeah, well, <laughs> all right. They probably uh, detected uh, many dozens of spies in the U.S. just by looking at the U.S. administration. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're they're enough to make a minion, as the board break. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's that's the Palestine genocide news for the week. How about the uh, Tucker ski news? Uh, Tucker Carlson is now uh, he's, he's got a, a Russian moniker because the, the whole mainstream media was united in outrage at Tucker Carlson's going to Moscow and interviewing Vladimir Putin. And it was a pretty good interview. And, you know, Tucker was annoyed because Putin went on for quite some time about the history of Ukraine and the reason that much of eastern Ukraine is really part of Russia. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting history lesson, and it was illustration that Putin can talk without a teleprompter. This guy is quite <laughs> intelligent, unlike his American counterparts. Uh, I mean, pretty much, you put Putin on TV, and he looks relatively good compared to the Western leaders, which is why you're not supposed to put Putin on TV, which is Tucker Carlson's crime. Well, the media here is going crazy. The Post keeps saying that Tucker Carlson shouldn't interview Putin. Tucker Carlson lied and, and, and uh, swerved and did terrible things with the truth, including raping it. Uh, and, oh, my goodness. Uh, he raped the truth? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, maybe it's exaggeration, I guess, maybe. Uh -huh. But uh, you, you won't get anything on the Internet, and they have news about Tucker Carlson, and, and uh, he is an agent of the evil empire. Yeah. Here's the Daily Mail story uh, claiming that he could face sanctions in Europe. So I guess that means that uh, Tucker Carlson's personal currency will no longer be accepted for transactions uh, in mm -hmm. European countries. So I guess the uh, the, the Tucker uh, is losing value on currency exchanges, even as we speak. Uh, the EU says he's been assisting a war criminal and being Putin's mouthpiece. I mean, they're totally hysterical. And this is just one example. I could have given you dozens of examples of mainstream media hysteria. This is somebody defected from their ranks, stopped being a propagandist, and actually did their job as a journalist. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had uh, journalists who were horrified that I gave interviews to uh, Russian news media. They, they've even convinced some of the really good journalists that I know that uh, Russia is wicked and awful and wants to take over Europe and the rest of the world. And all they want to do is to be let alone and, and stop being attacked by uh, NATO and the United States using Ukraine as a cat's paw. Well, how are we supposed to know what our enemies think if we're not allowed to interview them? You know, I mean, well, they, our enemies don't think they That's why they're, they're our enemies, supposedly. <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, Elon Musk apparently is not on board with the call for Tucker Carlson's arrest. I guess that was only a few extremists who were saying that Tucker should be arrested when he sets foot back in America. Funny, that's what the FBI actually threatened me. If I went to the uh, Iranian-sponsored conference in Lebanon a few years ago, uh, mm -hmm. my, some other guys going to the conference got the FBI at their door at like six in the morning, uh, whereas I just got a phone call. But they all made it clear that because of the, you, you, you were a part of this too, Mike, right? Remember those yeah, Treasury right. Department I, I was there uh, in uh, May of 2018 with you and some other people, uh, like Phil Giraldi from the CIA, 
And it was a great uh, conference of many interviews from journalists all over the world. And the truth was out. And uh, the, the zebra who was controlling the American government, specifically Seagal Pearl Mandicler, uh, simply said, no, uh, we're going to put you all in jail and take all your uh, personal and, and real estate away from you. Right. Go to a scholarly conference and we'll arrest you when you fly back home. So <laughs> so we decided not to go to that conference and, and we didn't get arrested. Well, Tucker went ahead to Moscow. I don't know what the FBI told him in advance. And uh, Elon Musk thinks that it would be unjust to arrest Tucker Carlson simply for doing his job as a journalist and going around the world interviewing significant people like Vladimir Putin. And I think Elon might be onto something. Uh, well, the latest person being banned, though, it's, it's, you know, they don't want to hear what, what Putin has to say. The media doesn't want you to hear Putin's side of the story, and they don't want you to hear Iran's side either. And Meta, uh, owned by uh, Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook fame, just banned the supreme leader of Iran, even though he had 5 million followers, or maybe because he had 5 million followers. So we're not supposed to know what he's saying and thinking either. Well, there's another step that... Uh... Zuckerberg and the enemy Jews at Facebook have come up with. They're debating now whether or not Zionist is an anti-Semitic term. Ah, that was yeah. on the front page yeah. of the Post today. Well, that's that debate's been going on for a long time. But you know, the World Zionist Congress actually created Israel and then kept <laughs> yeah. lobbying for Israel through the 1960s. And it was only when they threatened the America, the World Zionist Congress with having to register as foreign agents that it morphed into APAC and posed as a domestic lobby. So they were mm -hmm. calling themselves Zionists from the get-go. And I don't, just because people notice that Zionists are evil, doesn't mean that they can tell us that we're not allowed to use the word that they, are, they actually coined and used themselves for decades. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the Trump category. Uh, what's the Trump news this week? Well, front page New York Times headlines. The Supreme Court hears Trump's eligibility case. The Colorado Supreme Court case uh, about Trump being bannable from the ballot and so on is now heading for the U.S. Supreme Court. And the justices sounded very skeptical about the arguments that were offered why Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. So what do you think, Mike? Will he be on the ballot in 2024? I'm inclined to think so. I, I think you can't possibly ban someone because the Democrats and the elites running the uh, the lamestream media in the United States say that they don't like Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, if they really did like, didn't like Donald Trump, they wouldn't be working so hard at trying to keep him off the ballot. It, all it does is boost his popularity and demonstrate that uh, the last election was questionable and that uh, they had no valid reason for getting rid of Trump, but they keep adding to his appeal by saying he's persecuted and giving him tremendous amounts of publicity. If they want to keep Trump off the ballot, all they got to do is shut up about all the things he allegedly did but didn't do, like uh, inciting insurrection uh, when we know people who were there at the time because they didn't trust the ballot and who are good left-wing progressives, and uh, they questioned the whole thing and said that everything was relatively peaceful, uh, unlike the Washington Post and the New York Times and the, the, uh, the television stations. Yeah, the so-called insurrection actually was uh, mostly peaceful in <laughs> the uh, infamous way that it's sometimes described. Uh, so 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, the more they try to keep Trump off the ballot, the more it looks like there's a reason why, which is that Trump might win. And the reason he might win is because the mainstream media has not succeeded in making its case to the people. And the less it succeeds in making its case, the more it has to depend on these measures like censorship and, you know, wiping people off of Facebook and Instagram and, and terrorizing people into not going to interview Putin. And then, you know, taking the most popular presidential candidate, the guy who looks like he's going to win, uh, keeping him off the ballot. And then, of course, the debate is raging about would keep keeping Trump off the ballot hurt or help democracy? So, you know, Trump is leading Biden in the polls by five points. Is I think that's that the next story here. Yeah, uh, he's, he's got his biggest lead yet in the polls. So there's a debate about whether somebody who's five points ahead of the sitting president should be allowed to be on the ballot. And it would it would hurt democracy to let him be on the ballot. Uh, quite a debate. I mean, we're talking about, you know, can we debate 9-11? Can we debate, you know, Zionism and things like that? Uh, this is not exactly a debate, is it? No, not at all. I mean, I think a dead dog would probably win an election against uh, Genocide Joe. Well, that's true. That That's actually a, a huge point in Trump's favor. Just like Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate in 2016. Oh, God. And, you know, all these people who don't want Trump to be president, well, you know, why, why did you allow the DNC and its billionaire backers to steal that primary from Bernie Sanders, who mm. was, the polls showed ran vastly better against Trump than Hillary did? And and now these same people that claim that Trump is so toxic and evil and awful are keeping Biden, uh, this insanely unpopular guy, uh, propping him up. And, yeah, it's going to be their fault. When, when Trump wins. Uh, and yeah, maybe there's some kind of conspiracy behind it all, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, there is. I think they're going to put in Gavin Newsom at the last minute and, and replace Biden. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it does sort of kind of has that cheesy feel of a professional wrestling spectacle, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, Biden is, is killing his own electoral prospects with his debacle in Palestine. Uh, his own party is fractured and you know about half, more than half of his party is utterly disgusted with his support for the genocide of Palestine and nobody likes it actually even the Republicans poll are polling you know uh, against his Gaza policy so I, maybe that's why this week in a story that we didn't include in our list Biden said that he thinks what's going on over in Gaza has gone way over the top and then uh, the Israelis pumped out headlines saying, oh, well, he was probably just talking about Hamas. <laughs> so the White House was then forced to clarify that, no, he meant that this genocidal slaughter of 30,000 Palestinian civilians is what's gone over the top. So maybe that means that Biden is noticing that if he keeps on supporting this genocide without even asking any questions about it, that it's going to kill his chances in 2024. I think that is publicly clear. And even Time Magazine sees that. I mean, this is this is not uh, alternative media here. Uh, the pillar of the establishment. Right, right. So, I mean, sometimes things become so obvious that they can't even deny them in mainstream media. Uh, well, over in Hawaii, they're going to try to keep them off the ballot there, too. Uh, and I don't know if that's ever going to reach the Supreme Court. Or maybe the decision about Colorado will make the law clear. And then Hawaii will have to follow whatever the Supreme say about uh, Colorado, but all of this lawfare against Trump is really getting 
it's getting to be so much of it that it's hard to keep track of. You know, after you get a certain number of states all trying to keep them off the ballot for various different reasons, and you have like, you know, a bunch of civil suits against them, a bunch of criminal cases against them, it all starts to jumble together and sort of look like it's one big lawfare campaign. And it's it's none of it has any legitimacy. No, and the, the best part is that Trump doesn't have to pay a nickel for all the publicity he's getting. <laughs> right, which again, really makes you wonder. 2016, they gave him exactly the publicity he wanted. You know, Trump versus the media, and the media bought it, and uh, you know, gave him tricked. These tricked him into giving him billions in free publicity, and it looks like they're falling for the same thing again. Uh, maybe for re you know, for reasons. Maybe they want him in office so they can get have a president who's even more pro genocide than Biden. I don't know, but here's the story from today's Epoch Times, uh, citing a new study that claims that Trump. One in 2020, uh, if you get rid of the fraudulent mail-in ballots. And I looked at this study, and it actually looks like they have a reasonably good argument. What do you think, Mike? I thought it was good. I mean, granted that uh, statistics are kind of like a bikini. What they reveal is suggesting, but what they conceal is vital. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think once you look at this thing, uh, it, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. You know, you had all these unmanned ballot boxes where anybody could stuff anything in. Uh, they never checked signatures. I don't know if they checked names on the ballots against the voter rolls even. Uh, so I, I think that uh, it was far too easy to print up a bunch of ballots, put the right check marks in, and have people sign them and have them sign for other people uh, who were not incapacitated, blind, or uh, uh, stuck in, in jail or something. Uh, so I, I think that uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, far too much sense, and so much sense, in fact, that nobody will dare investigate it. Yeah, well, 28% of respondents said that they uh, did things like um, filling in a ballot on behalf of a friend or family member, uh, which is illegal under most circumstances unless they're fully disabled. And you know, then there's a debate about whether you know the percentages of people that say they did that could all have disabled family members, but it's very unlikely that they could. So it's uh you know it's not to me it's not smoking gun proof but it it i think that the lead assertion which is that had there not been mail in ballots in 2020 trump would clearly have won that's obviously true because you know the democrats were largely afraid to go to the polling stations that year because of covid and the republicans largely were not so it probably would have been a trump landslide if there hadn't been mail in ballots and the question is, you know, how many of those mail-in ballots were like there's a family where one of the people is is rabidly pro-Biden and the rest are like apolitical. So the pro-Biden person in the family makes sure they get they get ballots for everybody in the family and gets fills them out for everybody and, and sends in, you know, five better five or ten ballots instead of just one. How many how many times did things like that happen? Well, the study makes it sound like they may have happened a whole lot of times, but we'll probably never really know, will we? No, no, they, they steadfastly refused to question anything or investigate anything. And despite all these stories that were coming out about uh, suitcases full of uh, ballots were brought in at the end of the day when there were no Republican poll watchers around. I mean, you, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, period. Well, the good news here, the silver lining is that no matter how bad the election fraud may have been in the U.S., it's even worse in Pakistan. But... <laughs> Uh, Imran Khan, unlike Trump, is so popular that the election fraud doesn't 
completely work. So there were stories like this, you know, even in the U.S. media, remember the U.S. overthrew Imran Khan. So the U.S. media hates Imran Khan, but they have to notice that three quarters of the Pakistani people love him. Uh, so we got stories like this. Pakistan's elections are being brazenly rigged. Why doesn't the U.S. seem to care? And uh, yesterday, when the election results started coming in, the New York Times freaked out. It's stunning. Uh, it looks like a real race. Wait a minute. It wasn't supposed to be a real race. The fix was completely in, and Imran Khan's people had been so uh, handcuffed and shackled and 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 handicapped in every possible way. There's no way that they could even you know do anything. But guess what? It looks like uh, Imran Khan's party is the biggest, you know, getting the biggest single batch of results, and so Pakistan is still in chaos. Uh, here's an example of you know one Imran Khan candidate, um, Mayor Bano Qureshi. Uh, who was leading with a big margin until the election commission froze the results overnight, denied her access to the ballot office, and then announced the next day that she had lost. Um, so that's even worse than what Biden's people did to Trump by far. Uh, but even so, uh, Gans' party uh, is still winning the most seats of any party in the election, meaning that had this been a fair election, he probably would have won like an 80, 90 percent landslide. Yeah, I mean, they're going to tremendous lengths to keep him from being prime minister. I mean, they uh, at one point are going to charge him and his wife three years in jail because they didn't have a proper Muslim marriage. They didn't wait yeah. three months, so they said, uh, between one divorce and one marriage, which is nonsense. And if, if you actually look at the months they were married. In yeah, the three. Marriage, yeah, right. It's three. So, I mean, did they miss like one day or something? Uh, <laughs> and so you miss one day in your three month waiting period and you get seven years in prison. Uh, that, that's pretty harsh. Um, <laughs> but so. So, yeah, they, they've so Imran Khan is in jail, but his party is now the biggest vote getters in Pakistan, even when the vast majority of their votes have been prevented from being tallied by election fraud, uh, illustrating the fact that the Khan's support of Pakistan is just massive, you know, in the neighborhood of, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent of the population fervently supports it. So how can this military dictatorship continue to keep him locked up and try to run the country? I don't Until I, they bring I, in uh, Nawaz Sharif, the former prime minister, who never lasted full term. Right. That is subservient to the United States. And the irony is that Noah Sharif is utterly and completely corrupt, was convicted on a long list of corruption charges, fled the country to avoid uh, getting you know, imprisoned on those totally valid charges, and is now coming back to take over the country where Imran Khan, who is actually uh, very pious and non-corrupt, uh, is being charged with bogus corruption charges and kept out of office so they can bring in the guy who was hit with the real corruption charges. Uh, you really can't make this stuff up. Anyway, blocked. Uh, what's the blocked section? Well, the blocked is that the Republicans are blocking aid to Ukraine and Israel. Uh, hey, go Republicans. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh, the establishment is up in arms, of course. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Are they going to keep keep this block? The late, this is the latest news. As of today, a couple hours ago, the Ukraine aid bill was inching forward in the Senate, but um, it's still basically blocked. Well, the Post today had another article saying that they're working on it, that uh, they will eventually come up with some kind of compromise and this, this money for the Yuko-Nazis and the Zio-Nazis will go forward, you know, bankrupting America, ruining more lives and uh, creating uh, in incredible amounts of chaos in the world. Yeah, that's uh, that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I, I, the Republicans, I'm not sure are really acting on principle here. Uh, I'm not sure the Republicans or the Democrats, for that matter, ever really act on principle. Uh, but the big issue, of course, the reason they're blocking aid to Ukraine and Israel, in the case of Republicans especially, it's not that they dislike the genocidal Zionist entity. Indeed, they're actually deeper in the pockets of the Zionists than the Democrats are these days. But rather, it's to try to get a really tough immigration bill through. And Mitch McConnell couldn't get the compromise that he wanted. He, he's on board with a Democrat compromise, but the hardcore anti-immigration Republicans aren't uh, aren't standing for it. So that's why they're blocking these uh, Ukraine and Israel aid bills until they get their anti-immigration bill. Now, Mike, you're a bit of an expert on the immigration topic, having written, written that uh, uh, goodbye Germany, hello Merkel and chaos uh, book. Yeah. What, what's the real title? It's a uh, goodbye. Uh... Europe, hello, chaos, question marks, Merkel's migrant bomb, where she invited half the world to Germany and Europe. And uh, they all had the same idea, or they, they pushed the same idea that that's the Americans used to uh, uh, promote illegal immigration, that, oh, well, we have to pay for our social welfare programs, we're short of workers, the birth rate is down, et cetera, et cetera. And it's basically Europe and the United States both see this as cheap votes for the party who brings in all the illegals. And of course, you've got uh, uh, slave labor, you've got uh, wage slavery uh, of all the people that they do bring in. You give us any trouble and we'll send you back where you came from. So they, they have a nice quiescent uh, 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 workforce that will not make waves. And uh, as of course, the Alternative for Germany party had a big poster one time a couple of years ago, a very pregnant, blonde, uh, Caucasian German woman uh, saying we'll make our own new Germans. Well, well uh, here here in the U.S., as you can see by this graph, the Obama administration deported a lot of people. Uh, Trump deported slightly fewer than Obama did, but deportations dropped massively under Biden. And so well, those, are, those are the ones they could catch that they show for Obama and Trump. I mean, half of these people I, I meet in Washington who are working on houses and doing construction projects uh, they don't speak any English. It's all Spanish or another language. Yeah, I, I think they don't even know precisely how many undocumented no. immigrants are in the United States. Uh, well, this uh, this article from BBC argues that the three reasons why so many migrants are trying to cross into the U.S. is one, pent-up demand after the lockdown, uh, two, global migration trends, meaning that people from the uh, low-wage countries are moving to the countries with uh, better job markets. And then finally, uh, the Trump to Biden factor that we see in the graph, that, that uh, Biden's policies have amounted to a certain you know, open border sign, uh, an invitation to people to come on, uh, come on up and you know, file, file for a, a refugee uh, petition and, and we'll, we'll take care of you and give you all kinds of benefits. And let's get into the benefits that the migrants, well, well, we'll get into that in a moment. First, though, we're going to mention the take back the border convoy that Cat McGuire was saying may have been infiltrated by some of the same uh, characters who infiltrated some of the COVID freedom movement organizations. Uh, 300 vehicles did the whole route and they were joined by hundreds of others as they reached their destination at the border, but they didn't get anywhere near the 700,000 that they claimed they were going to get and again, Kat McGuire was suggesting that some of these organizers were less than on the level. I don't know, but it gave us some good headlines here and some good uh, slides here. Here's these, these are some <laughs> pictures from the coverage. 
Uh, it looked like a good party. I, I could have probably had a good time with some of these good old boys and girls had I been back in the uh, land of the red, white, and blue instead of over here in Morocco, uh, where we have a totally different type of, of good old boy. Uh, but yeah, these, this guy looks a little bit like my uh, late lamented Uncle Tim. Uh, I don't think Tim blew bubbles as he uh, motorcycled around, but yeah, Tim loved to go to Sturgis, South Dakota, and he uh, probably would have been on board with this uh, this anti-immigration uh, Woodstock that they tried to have. It didn't quite turn into a Woodstock, though. Anyway, it looks like fun. So, Mike, were you there? No, I was not. But I, I think that it. what they really need to do is negotiate a deal with the Mexican government. Uh, they can rent a, a couple of kilometers of land uh, south of the uh, the Rio Grande or the Rio Bravo, as the Mexicans call it. And uh, before these people get to the United States, they're rounded up, put on ships or airplanes, sent back where they came from, dumped on the beach with a load of MREs, and the, their government told, come and get your people. And you could probably do it at the other end of Mexico, saying, we'll keep these people out of your country. They won't have to traverse Mexico to get to the United States. We'll catch them there, and we'll send them back home. Well, that might work. You know, you know, we could have though a, a big, uh, a borderless peace and love fest by like have, designating an area, preferably over at where San Diego meets Tijuana, where there's a nice beach, and designate designate that era, that, that stretch of beach as a no border zone and no nation zone, uh, a temporary autonomous zone, as we old <laughs> Americans used to call them, and then have a huge party where all of these uh, good old boys from the Secure the Borders uh, truck caravan and all of the migrants coming up from southern wherever they're kind of south and central america uh could all get together on the beach and have a big uh, cookout and party and get to know each other and have a wonderful time that might actually save the world uh oh i think i'm having a flashback to my uh my 60s adult youth uh <laughs> anyway over in new york uh this mayor eric adams is defending giving prepaid migrant uh, credit cards to the migrants uh kat mcguire has talked about how she her whole neighborhood has gone to hell she's actually leaving new york not really entirely just really? because of this. Yeah, she's moving from New York, apparently. Uh, but in her neighborhood, they've all these hotels that used to be full of tourists near Times Square are now full of migrants with prepaid credit cards uh, paid for by taxpayers. Um, so I can kind of understand why people don't like that. Well, and also it, it shows that, uh, well, yeah, we want you to come. Y'all come, we'll give you money, and you can live here a lot better than you did back where you were in Haiti or uh, Afghanistan or someplace. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when I was a, a young, you know, hippie type advocating for, you know, having a Woodstock on the beach where we'll all have peace and love and you know, all of that, uh, I wouldn't have minded, you know, New York giving me a, a free hotel room and a prepaid credit card. Uh, but such a thing would be beyond, it would have been beyond my wildest, you know, drug-addled uh, hippie dreams of my misspent youth. Uh, but now they're actually doing this uh, for people. I guess they're not doing it for uh, for young Americans, though. But it's coming uh, out of their tax money, too. I mean, the, the, the people are supporting the illegal invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I were if I were down, you know, living uh, in uh, constrained circumstances south of the border and I heard I could get a free hotel room in New York and a prepaid credit card, I think I might consider, you know, having a, ha having some fun and you know making a trip. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, but I, mean, I shouldn't joke about it because there are, I mean, I realize that, you know, people in countries with bad labor markets like Morocco here, I understand why a lot of those people would like to go someplace with a better labor market, right? I mean, that does make sense. Um, so it's it's not it's not like, you know, all of these people are a bunch of ne'er-do-wells like I was when I was young. Uh, 
<laughs> but anyway, Alvin Bragg is another New York official who is uh, defending himself uh, on a migrant-related issue, in this case, defending his decision to release the migrants who viciously attacked the police in Times Square, just down the block from Cat McGuire this week. Uh, so there was a riot in Times Square, and the, the guys who beat up the cops, um, most of them managed to escape, and supposedly they got fake IDs from, there's some crazy story behind this. They got fake fake uh, vaccine cards from a stripper who makes her living selling fake vaccine cards for supposedly $500 a pop. I'm not going to mention whether or not I, I, when I went to this 9-11 truth conference in San Francisco, somebody gave me many, many, many dozens of blank vaccine cards. I'm not going to say that that actually happened, uh, but uh, I had no idea that that strippers could you know, sell fake vaccine cards for $500 a pop in New York and then become famous and then help uh, migrants who beat up police uh, get out of New York using the fake vaccine cards to do it. Anyway, this is one of the weirder news stories of the week. <laughs> it's American uh, activism. American activism for you. Okay, well, so watch out for those you know, police nationwide are on the alert for migrants uh, who've left New York and are coming to their town to beat up the police. Uh there's there's Bragg, uh, no comment on his decision to release these guys for beating up cops, leaving town on fake vaccine cards uh, sold by strippers. And over in Washington, the state has diverted $340 million in COVID funds to hand out $1,000 checks to, guess what, immigrants. And again, when I was a young ne'er-do-well, I would have headed out to Washington for a thousand dollars. Actually, I did head out to Washington. I lived, I lived for a year in Seattle, Washington, and half that time I was in a basement uh, room and the other half of the time i was living in a 1955 half-sized uh, chevy school bus that had been converted into a sort of a quasi motorhome uh, i used to park that by gasworks park and in the u district of seattle but nobody was offering me a thousand dollar check for coming to seattle as a uh, derelict um, but now they are <laughs> well, i want to become an illegal alien so i can rake in some of this loot <laughs> Well, come over here to Morocco without any papers. You know, we have a beautiful beach here in Saidia. And if you can get a, a boat to take you off the beach, you can swim to shore and uh, you will be an illegal immigrant. The trouble is, I don't think Morocco treats the illegal immigrants quite this well, but you can find out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see whether whether you're that eager to find out. Anyway, uh, let's move to our phobia section. What phobias do we have this week? Well, we have Islamophobia. That's actually a, a real phobia. I mean, 9-11 inculcated Islamophobia deep in the unconscious mind of the average American. And here's an article in Current Affairs about how it hasn't really gotten any better. I mean, this 9-11 thing is the gift that keeps on giving for the Zionists. I mean, I think Americans are going to still have issues with Muslims like hundreds of years from now because the Zionists blew up the Trade Center. What do you think, Mike? Well, I think that you're right, because everywhere you turn, I see it, and I'm not a Muslim, and uh, I'm amazed at the, uh, the things people say uh, and that they believe. Uh, I've gone to dinner parties where it's been a steady attack on Arabs and Muslims with no substance to them. You know, why, when I ask, well, why do you see this? Why do you believe that? And it's just because they are. Mm -hmm. And it's it's fueled by the United States government in some fashion, uh, because I know some Palestinians who tried to get one of their relatives out of Gaza uh, because their school had been blown up uh, by the Zionists. And uh, I suggested she go to the State Department and ask for humanitarian parole, which fits her perfectly because the parents are leaving. 
the rest of her family is gone, and she'd be left in a no man's land between uh, Egypt and, and what's left of occupied Palestine. And the State Department said, there's no such thing as humanitarian parole for this person, which is, you know, uh, they just simply want to keep the, the ball rolling, that there's something wrong with Muslims, something wrong with Arabs. Uh, you hear it, you see it, you feel it. And if I were an Arab or a Muslim, I, I don't think I could handle it. It's just outrageous from what I see from the outside. Well, so this, Wall, uh, this Wall Street Journal article headlined, Welcome to Dearborn, Michigan, America's yeah. capital. Uh, well, if you actually read it, their problem is that there are people in Dearborn, Michigan, who, like 90 plus percent of the world's people, side with the Palestinian genocide victims. Yeah. So if you're not pro-genocide, you're a jihadi, according to the Wall Street mm -hmm. Journal. And uh, the Wall and, Street Journal has been you know, running these kinds of articles by, uh, with, you know, by Israeli spies, by former IDF people. Uh, and, and then Thomas Friedman wrote this piece for the New York oh. Times, understanding the Middle East through the animal kingdom, comparing the various kinds of Arabs to various kinds of unpleasant uh, creatures, and then comparing the, uh, the Zionists and their allies to much nobler creatures. <laughs> well, the Muslims and the Arabs, what I've seen in the Washington Post, are now saying we can stand by and we are urging all of our uh, brethren to vote against the son of a bitch. And Biden, uh, he avoided Michigan on one of his campaign tours because he was afraid he would be roasted alive in public because he couldn't answer any with any degree of common sense uh, the questions they would put to him. Well, he's, he's, I don't think he's going to be literally roasted alive in public because his meat would be way too stringy. Uh, the Arab community does have uh, the, the best shwa or meshri, that is roasted meat in the world. Uh, in fact, if people, anybody gets, comes to visit us here at Sadia, Morocco, uh, you can get a really good schwa for maybe six bucks. Uh, that's that's for dinner. Um, and no, they're not going to roast and eat Biden, uh, but they probably aren't going to vote for him either. So moving on to more phobia news, uh, as you say, Mike, this uh, hatred of Muslims and Middle Easterners is leading to all kinds of horrors including deporting people to Gaza. I mean, the whole idea of protecting these uh, genuine refugees who have a reason to fear for their safety if they're sent back home is precisely cases like this. And probably 99% of these so-called uh, you know, refugee cases, people applying for, for refugee status are bogus, but they aren't all bogus. And this guy's wasn't that bogus. Any Palestinian has legitimate reasons to fear being deported back. And uh, here's somebody who was sent back to Gaza and then uh, murdered by the Zionists. Uh, so yeah, the Islamophobia leads to this kind of unjust enforcement and double standard enforcement of, uh, of these refugee immigration laws. Well, he sure hasn't deported any Hadian illegal aliens. And I don't think this guy was uh, uh, quite in their league. I think he was a normal upstanding guy from what I saw in the article. Absolutely. And so uh, that's, but, you know, because we don't like to see this guy being plucked off the streets and sent to his death at the hands of the genocidal Zionists. That makes us jihadis and everybody in Dearborn, too, I guess. Oh, boy. Well, it's against the law, too. You're not supposed to send somebody back to where he will be harmed. That's right. So pa Palestinians, above anybody else in the world, have a good case for refugee status. Uh, sure. Okay, let's move on to the not scientifically correct section of our broadcast. Uh, the first story is the unsurprising finding that the CDC is discovering 
that its uh, masking advice has not been scientifically correct. I guess we all knew that years ago, didn't we, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I can see wearing a muzzle if you're really coughing and spewing uh, like my brother was doing in Montana over the summer and gave me his virus. Uh, but by and large, you can breathe through it. You're not stopping anything because the virus is one ten thousandth the diameter of a human hair. And uh, short of breathing from a tank of oxygen, uh, you're going to breathe whatever is in the air through that mask. And it keeps out dust particles. It keeps out lead particles. Uh, but it sure God doesn't keep out viruses. Well, there is there's this debate about it uh, and, and the N90s and all of that. But the scientific evidence seems very clear that there's no evidence, no convincing evidence that any form of masks really helps. No, uh, absolutely not. Maybe eventually they'll admit that. And they're halfway to admitting it now. Uh, I guess False Flag Weekly News uh, was ahead of its time because we got blown off of YouTube. I lost my whole YouTube channel for talking about things like that years ago. Okay, more scientifically incorrect activity to report on here. Over in California, there was this illegal bio lab um, that was full of storage devices for HIV, Ebola, SARS-CoV-2, malaria, uh, multiple strains of herpes, tuberculosis, and other diseases. And a code enforcement officer uh, who discovered it says that the authorities didn't seem to really care. What's going on there? Were they being paid off or what? That was astonishing. I mean, she brings this up and it's it's uh, blatantly a, a, a germ warfare factory, a biological warfare factory. And she took it to the right people in the right positions in the right places. And they sort of twiddled their thumbs and twiddled their thumbs. So it came around and, and bit one of them. And they said, well, maybe we should do something about this. Maybe there is proof here after all. But it took them a long time to bring this to their attention. And this is the kind of thing that the, the great Homeland Security Organization is supposed to stop. And yet somehow couldn't. I mean, this all these diseases that they had and they were working on and they were growing and, and planning to ship God knows where, That's that's been swept under the rug. This is the first I've heard of it. And I'm horrified of it. Yeah, yeah. So if, if just about anybody can start a big old germ warfare lab in an abandoned warehouse in a small agricultural mm -hmm. community of Reedley, California, and they just happened to expose this one thanks to the uh, honesty of code enforcement officer Jessalyn Harper, I mean, what else is out there? I mean, how many trailer parks have, you know, somebody who, you know, looks like just some other, you know, trailer guy, a trailer park mm -hmm. guy? But, you know, inside that trailer, you know, he's got something that's going to take down the world in the next big plague. I mean, it, it you would really think that they would be more concerned about this. And, of course, all the other biolabs, including yeah. the well-funded ones that the military uh, is is funding and other militaries are, too. I mean, you would think that the whole the big lesson of COVID would have been we need to get a handle on germ warfare. We need to shut that down. We need to enforce the the uh, biological weapons convention. But for some reason, nobody seems to have noticed that. So we're going to give up on the world and move until uh, two weeks from now when we'll be back. But one, we have one last story for the week, the fascist newman and mandatory political vomiting story from Germany. Uh, the Ber Berlin police uh, have identified a possibly fascist snowman. Uh, this uh, snowman was making what they thought might be a Nazi salute. It turns out he was just waving at people. Um, but you can't be too careful these days. And the uh, Germans are protecting democracy in Germany, just like we protect democracy in America by keeping people off the ballot. The Germans are doing the same thing over there, uh, trying to keep the AFD off the ballot. And uh, 
using obscene insults against them on state-supported TV and telling people to vomit in the faces of anybody who votes for them. Uh, so German democracy, uh, soldiers on, uh, you're, you're a bit of a Germany expert, so your final thoughts on this, Mike? Well, the, the Alzheimer for Germany party has come out of nowhere in, in just half a dozen years, and they're extremely critical of the European Union for its over-controlling of various governments in Europe, and they're very much opposed to unrestricted immigration into Germany. And because of this, the Nazi is a right-wing extremist in any kind of the press. The government is or organizing demonstrations of hundreds of thousands of people against them. They want the uh, Internal Security Service, the Bundesverfassungsschutz, uh, to investigate them and to take them off the ballot in various states in Germany. And various, some of the German states have done this or want to do it. And it shows that the, the good old Nazis are still in control. Uh, you will think like we do, or we will put you in a concentration camp somewhere. But at least we can rest easy at night knowing that there will be no snowman elected Reich's chancellor in today's exactly. Germany. <laughs> All right. Well, Sig hi. I mean, bye. I'm I'm waving. <laughs> I'm not I'm not Sig Heiling. Uh, take care, guys. See y'all next week. See you next week, Mike. It was fun. Bye. -bye. Okay. Bye bye.